Well, good morning and welcome to St. James, my in-person peeps and our online peeps too. It is good to be together and recognize that togetherness is more than being in a space uh, because space is bigger than just a room. So it's always good to be together. I'm James Henry. I'm the pastor here at St. James on the West End of Alexandria, Virginia in the United States. And we welcome all of our in-person folks as well as the folks from around 27 states and seven different countries. If you join us live or you're watching this later in the week, we want you to know that you're welcome and the Spirit is with you whenever you are watching and with us. Today we pick up, uh, we are no longer talking about the woman at the well, but this is a piece of the story that picks up uh, kind of in the midst of uh, uh, the woman at the well. So if you've missed the, the last two weeks, we talked about this woman Jesus encounters at the well in John chapter 4. And this week, um, uh, the disciples come back to bring Jesus lunch or dinner or breakfast or whatever meal it was. And uh, Jesus uses that as a teachable moment to say some things about about food and nourishment. So we're going to be talking about that this morning. The older I get, the more I wonder about some of my earlier ideas about what God was all about in the world. Um, uh, what the idea of God's will is. And I have heard in my life, and I confess, I have been one of the people from whom I have heard the words Perhaps this is God's will. Uh, and some people don't even say perhaps in front of it. And there have been times in my life when I think I didn't even say perhaps. When I was sure I knew what God's will was. And you know what that tells me? I was really young then. Because I was really young enough to imagine I could, as a finite being, incorporate in my teeny tiny little brain all of what God has got planned for an infinite universe. Uh, and that's what I did. I was sure I knew what God's will was. I was absolutely positive sometimes in my life. I was sure it was God's will that I do this ministry thing. Now, it's worked out pretty well. This is exactly, I think, what I'm supposed to be doing. Well, not exactly, but I, I'm, I'm adapting I'm being creative. I'm joining God as Thomas Merton would talked about in the reading Linda shared. Uh, Thomas Merton understood that God's will is a creative act. We're in it with God and that it's an unfolding that's constantly happening. I like that. And I also like this idea of the, uh, that God, uh, that we can hasten God's return not by doing things like there are some of my sisters and brothers that were convinced and the creation of the state of Israel, part of it was that we felt really bad after World War II, after not saving six million Jews from extermination. But part of it was there were evangelical Christians in the United States that thought we would speed God's return up if Israel owned the Palestinian lands. We were convinced that we could push God's buttons to show up. But this idea of hastening God's return, that's from 1 Peter chapter 3, this idea of hastening God's return by manifesting God's presence more and more, by being more and more loving, 
That sounds pretty cool to me as an understanding of the way that maybe the, the will of God becomes real in the world and it unfolds in each one of us and we get to creatively figure out ways to love each other. But because of free will, we can also choose not to love each other and not to love God. And God refuses to make us do anything else. God refuses to make us do anything else. I have heard it said so many times by much wiser people than I am, and they're much wiser. When we ask the question, why is there suffering in the world? Because somebody chose to inflict it on somebody else. Why is there hunger in the world? Because we have decided not to share. I need a refrigerator full of food, some of which will go bad, because I have way more than I need. So that some people who don't have as much as they need will starve. And that's just the way that it works. I have made a choice. I have made, now you may say, you know, if you didn't buy it, it would get thrown away or all those kinds of things. It's true. We haven't figured out a good way to share. We've figured out a way to make money off of selling food. <laughs> we figured that out. We have not figured out how to encourage an altruistic realization that everyone deserves a house. It doesn't have to be 10,000 square feet. It can be much smaller than that. It doesn't have to be huge. It do, you don't have to have six houses. You know, but everybody ought to have a safe place to live. We haven't figured that out. We, we just haven't quite figured that out. So I think that we've got to keep working at it. You know, most of my mentors, people I have come to really love, talk about the origin point of the universe, the alpha and the omega. You might have heard that before. I am the alpha and the omega, the beginning and the end, the first and the last. Jesus, uh, those words are uh, put in uh, the mouth of Christ. Those words are, and since it began, I'm going to say 13.8 billion years ago, it is moving towards some form of consummation, the, uh, uh, the, the omega point, and that God will know when it's ready. I, I don't know. I look at the bread in the oven, and part of it is timer, but part of it is when I make the bread, if I tap on it, if I tap on it, I hear, I hear the sound. And when it gets hollow, that hollow sound of the bread when I'm baking it, then I know that sometime soon I should probably take it out. You know, and then it's a, it's a matter of looking at it, is it golden brown enough? Is it not golden brown enough? Is it too golden brown? Have I forgotten about it? Should I go into the other room? Because if I do, I might not come back for 15 minutes. It might be no longer edible. So there are all these dances we do. God knows. But apparently we can hasten the return by manifesting God's will, creatively loving the world in which we live, and one another, and God. So Jesus has been sitting by a well, talking to a woman. We spent two weeks talking about that wonderful conversation. And I encourage you, the recordings are online, and you can go back and listen to them. You can, also, you can listen to them, watch them, but you can listen to them on our podcast, our sermon podcast, which is available through a link on the website, sjumc.net. However, in the Gospel of uh, John, uh, right in the middle, in fact, it says, it doesn't say that, but it, it begins with the word meanwhile. Meanwhile, back on the ranch, 
whatever. Uh, here we go in verse 31 of chapter 4. Meanwhile, the disciples were urging Jesus, Rabbi, eat something. But Jesus told them, I have food to eat that you know nothing about. And this, the disciples said to one another, do you think someone has brought him something to eat? Jesus explained to them, doing the will of one who sent me and bringing this work to completion is my food. Don't you have a saying, four months more and it will be harvest time? I tell you, open your eyes and look at the fields. They're ripe and ready for harvest. Reapers are already collecting their wages. They're gathering fruit for eternal life. And sower and reaper will rejoice together. So the saying is true. One person sows, another reaps. I have sent you to reap what you haven't worked for. Others have done the work. And you've come upon the fruits of their labor. Doing the will of the one who sent me and bringing this work to completion is my food. This is the gospel of our Lord for this morning. Uh, praise be to God. You know, when I think about nourishment... At the most basic level, I think about things like food, food and water. Those are necessary. Uh, you know, uh, bread, water, preferably some form of protein. You know, we need, you know, if you've got those little food pyramids, there's a certain number of all these servings that you're supposed to have every day. And I'll just tell you, in any given day, I, I can't get all of those things into my body. The number of servings I'm supposed to get, just can't make it happen. Uh, whole grains I can usually make happen. I can generally make fruits and vegetables happen. Uh, some form of protein, generally, I make happen. And if I don't make it happen, I have members of my household that make me eat protein at some point during the day. They don't make me because I have irrevocable free will, but we're not going there because that is chasing a squirrel that we're not chasing today. Uh, but that food pyramid exists. And I've always thought of nourishment as that thing that I do when I'm on the run and I grab a Big Mac, which I haven't done in 30 years, but, or whatever, and I eat that, and that's nourishment. But then I began to think about it this week, what nourishment really is. Uh, last week, we were very fortunate in the aftermath of Sunday service to invite a friend over to have lunch with us. Uh, and we shocked and surprised Joshua in the whole process because Joshua makes us brunch every week, and we never know what Josh is going to make us. And so we, we didn't know if, you know, this, some weeks Josh says, I can't, I don't want, didn't want to eat the pancakes, you know, I didn't want the... Uh, you know, the extra sugar, so I just made pancakes for you and mom, and I'm going to have something else. I'm going to have this bowl of oatmeal. He's done that at least once or twice in the last year or so. So I'm thinking to myself, all right, we're going to invite a friend over to this meal, and uh, hopefully we have food, so enough to go around. And if we don't, we'll figure it out. So, uh, and 
We were going to surprise Josh, and then we thought, this is not the kind of surprise. You spring on somebody who might come in and might say, oh, I made two pancakes, one for you and mom. Uh, and that's it. Uh, so we thought we would give him a little heads up. We were leaving the parking lot, and he was like, oh, I made, uh, I tried a new recipe today. I made strawberry muffins. Uh, and there's plenty. And there was. Just enough so there were no leftovers, which is the way we like it. That's the way we like it around the house, because sometimes leftovers do not get eaten. You know, the nourishment didn't come in the strawberry muffins, although that was nourishing. It didn't come in the cup of water or the perfect cup of coffee my son pours for me at brunch every week. It came in the conversations that happened around the table among the four of us. My soul was nourished in that. Now, see, we think of nourishment as just taking care of the body. But I think Jesus wants us to stretch the way we look at it. He wanted the disciples to stretch the way they look at it. Now, all of us need enough food to eat so that we are not starving, so that we can sustain our bodies. I don't want to ever take that away. I don't want to ever say, well, you know, everyone gets their nourishment, whether they're starving or not, you know, whether we share our food or not. Ugh. That's not what I'm saying. But I'm saying nourishment is more than food. It is the engagement with one another and with the world God has entrusted to our care. We are nourished in that, through that, and around that. The conversation we had at the table last week, I, I felt uplifted by the end of it. I felt uplifted. Now, usually after worship, it's not that I don't feel uplifted after worship. I feel tired. <laughs> I usually feel tired. I've left it all on the table, so to speak, and I'm done. But after lunch and those delicious, from scratch, strawberry muffins that my son made and the turkey bacon and the conversation, I was uplifted. I didn't take a nap last uh, Sunday afternoon, which is unusual for me. Usually I'm a mid-afternoon napper, whether I plan on it or not. Uh, you know, Lily and I don't know how Lily's doing with her naps these days. Oh, no, no nap. I just got the, Gingy said, nah, you know. Well, as an old guy, I don't mind having a nap now and then. But this last week, I didn't need it because I was energized. I was nourished by that conversation. Every Tuesday night at Soul Space online, I am nourished by the folks that show up and are there. Mostly, and for the most part, it's me, Mark, and Butch. And the three of us uh, feed off the scripture. We don't eat any food. Uh, we're all on Zoom. Uh, but we feed off the scripture. We're coming to the end of the Gospel of Mark. It's in a tough spot now. We're in the crucifixion time, which is perfect, I guess, leading up to Easter soon. But we're nourished. What places are you finding nourishment in your life? Is it when people you love and know sit around the table with you? Is it when you take a walk outside and you see the daffodils? Uh, I look out my kitchen window and I'm nourished. Sometimes I find myself transfixed at the back window because it's like we have bouquets. I don't know who planted the daffodils. They were pre-existent to our moving in 31 years ago. Um, but they're like planted in bouquets. There's like, I don't know, four or five flowers over here. And there are four or five flowers over here. And there are three flowers over here. 
and there are 25 flowers in one little circle over here, right next to the compost pile. And then there's some next to the house that if you didn't know, uh, you would miss. And they grow up in little bunches, but I can stand at the kitchen sink washing dishes or just looking out the window and suddenly I'm caught by the cycle of those dandelions. Not dandelions, I'm caught by those too. But uh, those daffodils. Because I look at them and they're all so unique. And it nourishes my soul to see the beauty that I did nothing to make happen. I didn't make them grow up. I didn't plant them. But I reap the benefit. So I get this peace that Jesus says to his disciples, you get to be the reapers. You didn't plant the seed of love, but you get to reap the benefit of it and you get to share more of it. And that's what you're called to do, to bring into fruition, to, to, to hasten the day. You and I get to hasten the day if we are willing to do the will of God. But especially if we're, if we're willing to recognize that the will of God is not a blueprint for your life. I have been convinced at various points in my life that it was a blueprint. And I was going to accidentally trip and discover it. And most of the time, the way I got to where I am today is, I would like to, I say, completely by accident, at least on my part. My intentionality was to try to do what God wanted me to do as creatively as possible. And I look back on 30 years ago, recently, I listened again, oh, I listened again to a sermon from a long time ago, and I thought to myself, who is that boy talking? Who is that boy talking? What is he talking about? Does he even know about the love of God? Um, because my, you know, if I could write a letter to my 30-year-old self, I would tell me to be a lot more gracious. Now I'm being gracious with myself even now as I look back on some of those sermons and I think, you know, it's okay. That's where I was. That's what I saw. And God has used everything that's happening in my life creatively to open a co-creative process that brought us to this place. If you had told me in 1992 when I came to St. James that we would grow sell a building, move to temporary space, buy a smaller building, be somewhere a thousand feet from where we were and that there would be 92 affordable housing units where our building used to be. If you'd told me that 30 years ago, I would have run screaming into the hills because that's not what I signed up for. But the creative unfolding of God just allowed all these little pieces. If you had told me 28 years ago when I married Linda, that she was going to go in the hospital, I would have been living in fear for 28 years. But three years have gone, you know, two years, three years, some number of years have gone by now. Two, two years have gone by since that happened. And we're stronger for it. But I would have lived in fear of that coming, in anticipation the will of God is not something that's already foreordained for us, at least not as I understand it now. And I'm telling you what I think. 
I don't think there's a foreordained path that any of us are meant to be on. I think that in the creative moment, we do the best with what we've got, and it unfolds in a beautiful, loving way if we're willing to give ourselves over to that creative process. God does not have a blueprint for your life or mine. God has an opportunity. I used to have a district superintendent when I first came into ministry in the 80s, Joe Carson. And whenever he called you with an opportunity, you wanted to immediately hang up. You wished you hadn't answered the phone. That was back in the days before caller ID or anything else. So you didn't know who it was. You pick up the phone. It's Joe Carson. I've got an opportunity for you. An opportunity always meant an insurmountable challenge that nobody else was willing to do. But he had called you (laughs) to do it. I only got one of those calls. I got an opportunity for you, Jude. Uh, And that's when I went to Georgia and a four-point charge with uh, these beautiful uh, four-point charge means I was the pastor of four churches. Uh, And it was a beautiful experience and it taught me a lot and I grew a lot and I exhausted myself and I learned my limitations the hard way. I'll tell you that preaching six times a Sunday is more than I can do. I I hope you don't ever ask me to do that again now. Uh, Once is is about as much as... I'll do as many as you need, but one seems to be enough right now. The bottom line is we live in this beautiful world that offers us nourishment in lots of ways, and we don't eat a very balanced diet about it. We think that nourishment is what we put on the table for breakfast, lunch, dinner, and a snack, if that's what we have, or however many meals we have per day. We think that's what nourishment is. But nourishment is chatting with your neighbor. It's talking to somebody. Linda shared this thing on Facebook, and sometimes Facebook drives me crazy, but she shared this thing in Facebook where this younger person goes to visit her dad and mom, and you know they're talking, and, and, and she's trying to convince her dad that he should go to all online everything. And that he could then order his food and never have to go out of the house. He'd never have to go anywhere. She goes with him and spends an hour with him at the bank while he's there. And so she's explaining to him how his life could be so much simpler. And he said, you know, I I get up and I look forward. I, I get ready for this because I've come here. Did you realize that while we've been here at the bank, I've seen four of my friends. And I've gotten to talk to this bank teller. Otherwise, it'd be you and your mom, you and your mom. Uh, it'd be me and your mom at home. I go out because I get to interact with other people. Now, mom and dad, that was not uh, any kind of indictment to you if you go out or don't go out. I have to say that because mom and dad watch, and sometimes they don't go out. So, uh, nope, nope, that was not what it was about. It was the story that Linda's Facebook told. And this guy said, I look forward to this. And for as long as I can, I want to go out because this is where I connect with other human beings. We can't fix everybody else's life, but connecting with one another in the ways that are appropriate to us, helping one another, sharing with one another, these are all ways of nourishing ourselves. Reading the Bible, that's a way of nourishing ourselves. Praying, it's a way of nourishing ourselves. You think it's all about what God wants from you, but you don't realize that most of what happens in prayer is is you. You get something out of it. Now, I'm not telling you what's in it for me. 
well, I pray because of what's in it for me. You know, that seems to be an attitude. I'm not encouraging that you ask what's in it for you. But I find that my prayer time always feeds me more than I can imagine that it feeds God. Now, someday, maybe I'll chat with God and say, so, was it helpful to you? And then I'll know. But for now, I know that my prayer time changes me, changes my heart, opens me up, allows me to carry the burdens of others. What nourishes you? Is it just food? Has that been your only attitude? Or are you thinking about some other things in your life that you realized this past week, even in the past, that nourished you, that you hadn't even thought of nourish, being a nourishment? That brief conversation you had with the target. Why do I always talk about target? Uh, it's always target. That's the only, that's only, and I don't even go to target. My daughter does. It's like a second shrine to her. But, uh, okay, sorry, Hannah. Um, you know, but it's that conversation. Might be that five-minute conversation you had with the teller while she was running all your stuff through, or at Giant, or the grocery store. It could have been uh, that really nice conversation you had with the person who called to uh, sell you something on the phone. Maybe that was a really nourishing time for you. Maybe it was when you took a walk by yourself. Or like me, you stared out the window over your... Uh, over your sink, and you watch the daffodils blow in the wind and thought, what a gift they are. Maybe it was a conversation you had with a friend who came over for lunch unexpectedly. I don't know. But you see, there's so much that nourishes us that is the will of God. All these little pieces of our lives, we often make this really narrow path that the only way I'm nourishing my relationship with God is to show up on Sunday morning or whatever day of the week it is that we're watching, and that that's what nourishes us. Loving one another in the good and the challenging times, that's nourishing. Eating mindfully and enjoying the food before you, that's nourishing. Not just to your body, but to your soul. When we take communion together, yes, there is physical nourishment in it. This is a freshly baked loaf of bread that I made at home that's gluten-free and, and allergen-free. And yes, it's delicious, I know. Um, and it's a miracle that I learned that, uh, the way to do it. But the bottom line is, it doesn't just nourish our taste buds and our stomachs. There's something about sharing communion around this table where everyone is welcome that nourishes my soul. Somewhere deep inside me, I am changed in the eating of this cup and this, uh, this bread. We are nourished in so many ways that we, we skip over on our way to real nourishment. Sometimes it is a meal, and sometimes it's something else. So my challenge to you this week is to look at the things that are nourishing you. To ask questions, what nourishes me most? And maybe do a little bit more of that. Maybe gaze out your window more at the daffodils in your yard or whatever it may be. Maybe it's sit out on a breezy day, take a walk, call a friend, talk about what matters to you, 
Because sometimes those are the things that nourish you. So I challenge you to look for the things that are nourishing your soul this week. And be thankful for them. My food is to do the will of the one who sent me. My food, my nourishment, is to do the will of the one who sent me, which is to live your life as fully and lovingly as you can so that we might hasten the day. I'm not in a rush to get on uh, the consummation of history. But seeing love grow, that's got to make God happy. And it would make us happy too. I, I can't imagine it wouldn't. So, go out and get some nourishment, uh, wherever that is.